Well, friends, today we continue on our journey that we started just this past week, a journey called A View from Here. We're talking about lenses, and I want to talk to you today about a particular lens and a, and a particular way of seeing this lens that I think might be helpful for you. There was a series of experiments on perception and on sensory input that was done in the late 1800s by a gentleman by the name of George M. Stratton. And George Stratton did something very particular. He took a set of glasses, and by using a series of mirrors, he approached the world by when you placed these glasses on, the entire world looked upside down. And then he put them on people to see just how it was that they would react and respond to having these glasses on, not just for a little while, but for eight days. Of course, at first, when these glasses were put on, everything was extremely disorienting. It was hard for people to keep from stumbling or, or falling or, or bumping into things or, or misplacing things as they tried to maneuver through the world. But, but as time progressed, they began to adapt. And by the eighth day, it got to the place that some people were so well adapted to seeing the world upside down that they were even able to ride a bike through town. Now, upon taking the glasses off, things were disoriented for a while as well, but not for too long, and eventually their perceptions returned back to normal. Now, why would he do something like this? Well, what George knew and what others were starting to discover in that time is that the way the human eye works is like this. It works like a camera lens. The light enters the eye, goes through a lens, and it's projected onto the retina in the back of your eye, but it's projected upside down. And then the mind does a miraculous and amazing thing in flipping this image over so that you see the world right side up. So his experiment was simply to see what would the brain do if it was presented with an image that was upside down but actually right side up, what would it do? Fascinating experiment that's been repeated a number of times since then. Some have said that those who were going for that long period of time, up to eight days, actually felt like they were seeing things normally at some point along the line. Others simply thought that they adapted to it. But either way, the lenses that we use, and even the lens within our own eyes, is critical to the way in which we perceive the world, the way in which we take in information and understanding. We've been talking about some distinctive lenses we started last week by talking about a particular lens by which we see Scripture, and it's the lens of law and gospel. And if you remember last week, I described that as being binoculars, using both of your eyes to see things at a distance, but still with depth and clarity. And that by understanding how the gospel, or how, the, how God's Word speaks to us in both law and gospel, we get a clearer understanding of our own condition before God. And as we read Scripture, we recognize how Scripture then reads us as sinners desperately in need of a Savior, incapable of saving or rescuing ourselves, but then by faith trusting in a Lord who rescues us and has done everything for us through His promise. And today we want to look at another lens, a lens by which we come to understand who God truly is. And this Lutheran lens is known as the theology of 
the cross. And I hope that as we explore a bit together today in the scriptures, that we will recognize how this lens truly does turn the world upside down. I would invite you at this time to open your Bibles if you have them with you. If you have them on a phone or on an iPad or something, that's perfectly wonderful. If you have it in your own scripture that you brought with you, that's great. Otherwise, just listen and follow along as I read to you from the Gospel of John chapter 9. I'm going to read the entire chapter because you want to catch all of this in context. It's a bit lengthy, but please bear with me and listen to this powerful story. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Wow, what a story. A story that starts off with a blind man and people who think that they see him clearly. Jesus with his disciples. And the first words out of his disciples' mouths when they see this man Say, Jesus, was it this man's sin that caused him to be blind, or was it his parents? Jesus corrects their vision, and rightly so. You see, we need to understand that in the time of Jesus, to be born blind, to have a malady, to be poor, to be a beggar, to be any one of these outcasts was to clearly be cursed by God. God obviously cursed this man. That is why he is blind. So the disciples are simply asking the question of Jesus. Well, uh, is he cursed because of his own sin or, or because of the sins of his parents? A worldview that looks at those who are down and out, those who are on the outside, those who are struggling, as being cursed by God. And Jesus corrects their vision. You see, it's not about revealing this man's sin. It's about revealing God's power and who God is. So Jesus heals the blind man's vision. And then the healed man begins to be interrogated by the Pharisees who are completely indoctrinated in this understanding of the world that only a curse from God would cause this man to be blind. And why on earth then would he be the one who would be chosen to see? And worse yet, how could it be this Jesus fellow that is the one who brings about this healing? So they begin to ask this man, questions over and over and over again. It's quite humorous. I know somebody was out there kind of going, should I laugh at this? Because it sounds kind of funny. It does! It's absurd! 
And the absurdity comes right through in the mouth of this man. I have told you this a bunch of times. This is remarkable that you're not getting this. I don't know who this man was. You're asking me to identify him. I've told you the story. He put mud on my eyes, and then I left to go and wash at the pool of Siloam. How could I recognize him? But what I do know is I don't know anything about this man, but what I do know is that I was blind, and now I can see. And those Pharisees who were there, stuck in this wrong understanding of the way that God is and how he chooses to treat us and see us, remain completely blind. It starts with a blind man who sees, and it ends with those who think they can see being completely blind. We need our vision corrected when it comes to suffering and brokenness in the world. You see, not a lot has changed in the, since the times of Jesus. While we can certainly find other medical conditions and other things and sciences provided wonderful insights into the reasons and causes for disease and blindness and, and all the different things and maladies that face us in the world, we still have a wrong perception we are still fixated on success and blind to suffering. When we see somebody in the world who is struggling, whether it's through a physical malady, whether it's through mental illness, whether it's through poverty, whether it's through oppression, whatever it might be, when we see people, our tendency is to look down on them with pity and think, oh, what a bummer to be them. If only they were blessed like I am. If only they had found the favor of God like I have or like others have who have attained health and wealth and power. Our lens is still distorted in the way we see the world because our lens is still distorted in the way that we see Jesus. We equate success with God's blessing and suffering with God's cursing. This is the bind we find ourselves in. But the cross reveals Something totally different. You see, if God was about blessing success and blessing power, then why would the culmination of the story of our lives, the story of Jesus, the story that changes everything, end with him staring down at us from a cross? Because apparently God has a different way of revealing his glory and his power. He chooses to do it through the shame and weakness and brokenness of the cross. If we want to see our Savior, 
we look to the cross. And that's not a comfortable thing to do. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And that's exactly the point. You see, the cross reveals that at our very worst, God reveals his very best. God chooses to show his love for humanity by going the distance between his great love, holiness, and perfection all the way to the misery, suffering, and brokenness of our humanity. And he doesn't go halfway there. He doesn't go partway there. He goes all the way there. Even to death. Death on a cross. We don't see things. We don't see people. And we don't see God clearly until we see them through the lens of the cross. A lens that turns everything upside down. Paul himself says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, when he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So poignant, so powerful, that the way that God chooses to reveal himself to us specifically is through suffering. And what does that do for us? It gives us a lens to see where God's mercy and love flow. His mercy and love don't flow uphill towards the power of everyone else. They flow downhill from the foot of the cross to each of us. And it changes dramatically the way in which we see the world. The cross flips everything upside down. It forgives the unforgivable. It sees death as a prelude to life. It touches the untouchable. It finds meaning in suffering. It finds freedom in serving. It finds strength in weakness. It brings light to darkness. It loves the enemy and blesses the persecutor. That's what the cross does. There was a movie several years back, a movie made of a great play called Les Miserables. And there's a scene that I think captures this idea of God finding us at our worst and yet still showing us his best. And we catch the scene here from a poor man seeking refuge outside of a church. Let's watch that video right now. Hey! Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. 
Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for Such a powerful picture and portrayal of God's mercy. Of going that extra mile. Would the priest in the story have been right and just in saying that this man was a thief and had robbed him and taken these things from him? Absolutely. Was there great risk in sending this man forward? with all of his precious silver, without a doubt. Yet that, my friends, is what the cross says. That God risks everything to see you and I as precious, as making us worthy of his love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What would it take to love this way and forgive this way? Only seeing Jesus through the cross. 
and only seeing one another through the cross. May we learn this by receiving it first ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.